0: Oh boy, this week we go way behind the scenes with, ba- with Bassmaster, cameraman Jake LaTondres on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all, it is Wednesday, I want to welcome all my humpers back to the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, Mercer, and as you just saw, for those of you watching the visual version of this, if you listen to the audio version, whatever way you're listening to this, we thank you and appreciate that, but those of you that are seeing the visual version, uh, you saw, you can show up for work, you can be ready to work, you're ready to go, and, and next thing you know, your hat and your headphones get in a fight, and you look like a fool, on the interweb. So um, I'll try to clean this up and uh, get us going here. But this is going to be a fun one, guys. Um, before I even talk about this show, crazy week for so many people. Um, snow everywhere. I mean, down south, it's, it's so cute for me, being from up north, to listen to people from down south when they get snow. Because for them, it's, it's, it's cute. It's fun. it's Oh, it's majestic and beautiful. Um, because it goes away. So you enjoy it while it's there and you sled on the hills. and You know, in a few days, it's going to melt anyways. Well, up north, we got to deal with it because it's not going to melt. And uh, we got hammered, man. One of the biggest storms I can remember in years, literally. Um, Several feet of snow fell on our head. You know, you start to fall into a... I'll be honest, Like as a Canadian, you start to fall into, you lull yourself into a sense of confidence. You're like, hey, man, it's middle of January. We haven't been hammered by bad snow. Maybe this is the year that it's not going to happen. And then you get reminded it's Canada. And you're always going to get snowed on. But I hope everybody's safe, made it through. We had people stuck on the highway for 8 to 10 hours. I know all sorts of people in travel situations and everything. So hopefully you got home safe. And if you're in one of those right now and you think nobody cares and you're listening to that podcast, let's everybody just just put an air hug out there for that person. We care. No, it's truly nobody cares about two things in life that nobody cares about. Your travel woes, like if you call a buddy and tell them you're stranded somewhere, they're like, oh, that's bad, but they don't really care. Um, And fantasy football, that's the other thing. Uh, It drives you crazy but, you, you, I mean, it's it doesn't matter to most of the world. It matters to you and 11 other people or whatever size your league is. But uh, speaking of mattering, thank you guys for coming here week after week for this podcast. And the one thing I promised from the start is we're going to be honest. We're going to bring you behind the scenes. And this week you get to go way behind the scenes. Because our guest this week um, is one of an amazing crew. And, and I think that crew does not get enough credit if you look at everything that's happened in professional fishing over the last number of years the biggest grower the biggest mover is bass live i mean literally it invented live bass fishing i mean and and you look at how quick it's come at us not too long ago you know you had to wait for that you know months to find out who won and stuff like that and i'm literally within my lifetime it's gone from that to instantaneous broadcasting um Quite often I'm on the water doing coverage and the people that I'm friends with will text me from home that are watching it that know more about the tournament because they're watching all the anglers and it's all live and it's all happening. And that happens for one reason and one group of people. And that's the Bass Camera folks. Uh, an incredible team that 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 literally gave us a front row seat to this sport. I mean, Mike McInnes and everybody that... Put that together and thought that it was even possible is amazing, but none of it would have been possible without the right camera people. I mean, and just think of how taxing that job is, all the weather. You know it's tough to fish when it's rainy, when it's windy, when it's snowy, when it's whatever. Just imagine how tough it is to operate a camera. And then those rough water events. You know, you go out to Lake Ontario, we think that's crazy and cool to look at. Imagine looking at, it through one eye. I mean, these folks are incredibly talented. They don't get enough credit. They literally are the behind the scenes. They see it. They hear it. They smell it. <laughs> they get everything. And I'm happy to say we got one of them here with us this week. Well, let's welcome him right now. Jake Latondres. Jake Latondres, the tenderness. I just found that out. that, that is that really what your last name Latondres means? The tenderness? In French that is
1: exactly what it means there's there's a lot of people up in your part of the world uh, with that last name looking at there's no phone books don't exist anymore but if if they did you'd see a long
0: list of latondresses in your your area yeah well this is the first latandress we've ever had on this show and I thank you for doing this um, good holidays everything good 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 with you on your end and where, where exactly are you right now?
1: Right now, I'm at my home in Timnath, Colorado, which is right outside of Fort Collins. It's very cold, very snowy, uh, but the holidays were great. had a great time with my kids, and and, uh, yeah, all is well.
0: One of the things that I'm lucky to see that I don't think a lot of people see, um, the incredible camera crew. And obviously you are just one part of that. And let's not start a war. Okay. Cause I get in enough trouble from anglers that I don't have on <laughs> now. I'm going to have camera people yelling at me, but man, you guys all have incredible stories. And before we get into your Bassmaster position, tell me about your life, you know, because I mean, you're an outdoors person, whether it's, I mean, it's amazing when I look through what you've, where you've been and what you've done. Well, thank you. I, you know, I've
1: my dad raised me in the outdoors. He started. I started hunting and fishing when I was three years old, and I actually grew up uh, on Kentucky Lake in West Tennessee. Really? That's where I spent most of my life. Yeah, in fact, uh, maybe later in the show, I'll tell you a story about fishing. Uh, or, or covering an angler on Kentucky Lake and breaking down into tears uh, when, when something special happened there. But um, yeah, I've been an outdoor person my entire life. And uh, there was a point in time uh, as I was coming into adulthood that I said, I really want to do something that would allow me to make a living in the outdoor industry. And it just so happens that, you know, I was an artist, uh, a painter, and a uh, a, a graph graphite drawing artist um, and that sort of uh, took me into uh, still photography and then still photography really led me into uh, the video world as the video world started to grow back in the early 90s.
0: Which you like better before you go any further? What you like? Like if if, if somebody said you got to take video or stills, which would which would you rather do? I like to shoot video.
1: I don't like to edit video, even though I do a lot of it, Um, but I really like to shoot stills with a big lens because I think, you know, in a video, you can tell a story, let's say in 30 seconds because it's motion photography, right? And you can tell a story or have someone tell a story in 30 or 60 seconds. In a video or in a, in a still photo, you got to figure out a way to tell a story in one one thousandth of a second. And the yeah. more of a story you can tell, the better your photo is because people can relate to it. So I, I, I really love to shoot still photography.
0: I think it gets more respect. Like, and maybe that's because I come from the video end, but you spend all this money and all this time getting this beautiful shot of a, a boat, like in slow-mo shot in a red cam. And it's beautiful. But if somebody watches it 10 times it doesn't have the same effect on them, but you can take one frame of that boat and literally look at that picture every single day. It's, it's almost like by slowing it down, we, we appreciate it more. I think.
1: I I agree. Uh, Sago took a picture of me covering Taku Ito on St. Clair. And it's one of the, it's one of the, baddest ass pictures I've ever seen and not because I was in it, but just because of what Sago did with the photo. And that's one of those photos. I I had it blown up, uh, still in transit, uh, from the, the printer, but I had it blown up because I want to put it on my wall because it's one of those photos that it has all these different elements and this big splashing of a wave on the front of the boat. Taku's reaching down in this super clear gin colored water, you know, pulling a five pound smallmouth out and I'm over his shoulder shooting the camera with this rod tip up in my face. And it's just got one of those moments that, that really defines what I do uh,
0: on, on the boat for, for Bassmaster. It's really cool. Yeah, and when you're just explaining that, it's just proving that point too. Like you wouldn't in a in a video, you almost wouldn't even realize how clear that water was. But because it's a picture, you stare, you you, you absorb all those different elements at different times. It's crazy. And and I'm not exactly. good at my job. You're supposed to be explaining to me your life. You what you told me you reached the the video and still picture and video started to take over, and I will stop interrupting you. Tell me more.
1: Yeah, so uh Back in, in the mid, really the late nineties, um, I started, I was ice climbing. That's what I used to do, uh, for, for fun and adventure. I was an ice climber and I used to travel all over the world, climbing frozen waterfalls and literally. You
0: are the weirdest. Why? How do you get, (laughs) okay. Mountain climbing. I get it. But how do you like uh, the Mountains are not challenging enough for me. I need ice.
1: I don't know. It's something physical. There's something creative about ice climbing because you, you have to figure out the route and you know, you pick your spots to place your ice axe and it's vertical and it's just a, it's just a huge rush. But getting back to your question, um, I took a photo, I was up in Alaska and I took a photo of Mount Hunter, which is uh, in the uh, three big mountain groups uh, around Denali. There's Mount McKinley, Mount Forker and Mount Hunter And we were just got through climbing Mount Forker and we were skiing back across the glacier to, uh, to catch our flight out on a, on a float plane or a a ski, uh, a plane on skids. And I took this photo and one of my friends who was already a professional in the ice climbing world uh, told me that he thought it was a really good photo. So I sent it to some different uh, publications and about six months later, um, a guy came in and threw the magazine down on uh, the bar, actually, where, where I was, and it, it made the cover of the North Face catalog, which was in uh, 1999. And that was really a turning point for me because that was at the time before digital photography. That was all color slide and analog. And before digital photography came out, you know, the North Face cover was like being on National Geographic. And it was a total fluke accident, had no connections in the in the professional photography world. They just happened to like it enough to where they put it on there. And I immediately got mad because they didn't notify me that they had used my photo. There was no check. There was no, no Connectivity, nothing. So I, I went to a payphone. If anyone knows what that is anymore, went to a payphone and called the North Face because the number of the edit- editor would be in the in the inside front yep. cover. I called the North Face in California and I said, I want to speak to the photo editor. She got on the phone and she said, Jake, before you say anything, I just want you to know you sent us these slides and you didn't send us a contact information. And we loved your photo so much. We went ahead and put it on there knowing you would contact us. So here's what we're going to do. So they sent me a big fat check, a big box full of North Face apparel. And that gave me the confidence. I actually used that money to upgrade my camera. And, and that gave me the confidence to to continue shooting content for the, for the adventure world. And eventually I just sort of transitioned into hunting and fishing because that's really what
0: I love to do. That's so close to not working out though. Like that's all that's going through my mind is how many meetings they must've had and said, well, we don't even know this guy that took the picture. What if you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure they had every reason not to put it on there,
1: but. Like, who is this? Who is this guy? And and so, yeah, that that's I never thought about it that way. But that's exactly right. It was it was it was on the thin razor's edge of being unsuccessful because of that reason, for sure. So what you have literally
0: traveled all around the world at this point, I imagine.
1: Forty nine countries I've been to shooting photos and and shooting video for various private clients or brands or whatever it is i've been very very fortunate in in that sense to be able to travel the world
0: yeah what's the craziest place you've ever been what, like, well like what's the place in your list where you sat there and was like am, am i really here
1: yeah um, uganda and in east africa and pakistan were the two places that i've been that was like Wow. First, I mean, first and foremost, they weren't at all what I thought they were going to be either country. And secondly, um, both countries were still wild and and old, like way old school. And it was like traveling back in a time capsule to both countries, and both one being in Africa and one being in Central Asia. You know, there are two very different cultures and worlds, but. Just being there was was surreal.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so. So why do you how, okay? Like, how do you go from that to Bassmaster? Because if I like, <laughs> I'll tell you how I explain your job at Bassmaster to the guys who shoot our show. Uh, you know, we've obviously over the years talked about, oh, if you ever shot this? And I'm like, it's the worst job. You guys don't want it. It's like doing <laughs> this except. The pro doesn't really care. I mean, the pros focused on winning and you just got to kind of keep up when you're shooting this show. So how did how did you find the, you know, to go from traveling all around the world shooting this stuff? Why shooting? Why do you shoot bass? I would think that to a shooter that is it a bigger challenge or. what? Yeah, why this comes full
1: circle, because what happened was back in 2003, is when I really started shooting video for outdoor television. Okay. And I met, I met Shannon Nardi, um, in the waterfowl world because she, uh, and her dad had started a show called water dog TV. And it was all about retrievers. And I love dogs, first of all, and I love retrievers even more so. And so, um, I had, I had been telling a story about my dog on her pre, pre social media, uh, her, her chat room on water dog TV. Cause I loved her TV show so much. And I had a Chesapeake Bay retriever at the time and she decided to come shoot a feature about my dog for her show. So when they came to uh, Western Nebraska, where my, my hunting club is, um, she, we just started talking about camera work and then I started shooting video for her TV show. And because she's the daughter of Jerry McInnes, she was, she was telling Mike McInnes, our producer and our director about me. And she was telling Wes Miller, my boss in the camera trailer about me. And it took me like three or four years to even crack the code at Bassmaster because at the time there were Rick and Brian Mason, Wes Miller, Carrie Barrett. It was just like a, a skeleton crew of, five or six people because there was no live back then. And that was actually, uh, it'll be, a, this will be my 11th season coming up in 2022. So finally um, there was, uh, I forget what happened. They were, they were just wanted to expand their, their, their frames or, or camera crew on the water. So they finally gave me a shot. And my very first event and my very first angler was Ot Defoe. foe, defoe. Um, on Douglas Reservoir, his home lake, basically. Yeah. And that's when they were, remember, they were long lining bass yeah. in like 40 feet of water. And that was my very first event and my very first coverage. And he almost won. I think Jeremy Stark won that event. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was my my introduction into the Bassmaster world. And I loved it. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And having grown up on Kentucky Lake, um, and bass fishing, you know, my whole life, it, it, it just, it, it's my favorite job I've ever had in the whole world. It's really cool.
0: So, but I would think as a shooter, you would look at all, a lot of that stuff is negative. You know what I mean? Like this guy's not working with me at all. Like my, when we're shooting a show, our crew's forever. Like you got to go this direction because the sun and what, it, I mean, Ott doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, he's a very caring bird, but it, ultimately his job is to catch fish. Do you look at that as more of a challenge, or, or how do you look at that?
1: I would say I would say a challenge because it's like you know when you walk into a room and like if you're a, a, a kid person, you like children. You walk into a room full of adults and you're it's kind of awkward because you don't know anyone and you kind of gravitate towards the kid, and the kid just kind of gives you the cold shoulder because they're scared of you because they don't know you, and then it becomes this challenge to get to know the kid, and then finally before you leave you know the kid is in your lap or you know you're you're drinking hot chocolate with him and telling funny jokes or whatever it is it's almost the same kind of relationship with these with an with an angler that you don't know if they if they don't care and they're just so focused on fishing then it's almost a challenge for me to bring something out of them so that it exposes their their, their true colors on camera in a positive light. So yeah, there's, there's definitely a challenge there.
0: How did, how does that go? Like when you guys get I mean, I get it. You guys have relationships with different pros and stuff like that, but, but you shoot with everybody. Um, so when you get with somebody for the first time, do you have like a routine or whatever that you go through, you know, just to, I guess, it's just weird to me because when I'm thinking about it right now, Like when we get one new shooter on our shoots, I'm like, yeah, I'm not comfortable. I'm just such a weirdo. (laughs) And and when you look at the pros, you guys got to figure out such comfort. And obviously you do, if you watch bass live, you see it happen. So what do you do?
1: I think it's easier now, particularly, you know, after the transition from the MLF to the new guys, it's easier now because everyone was new or almost everyone was new three years ago. And so but I had been there for seven years prior to that. So I already kind of knew I felt comfortable in in my own skin. Those guys were the ones that felt awkward because they either came from opens or you yeah. know, smaller circuits and they didn't have all this the limelight and publicity and cameras in their faces and Dave Mercer talking to them at the boat dock and all that. And and so it was easier, but before, like getting in the boat with Mike Iconelli the first time. <laughs> was like scariest, one of the scariest things I've ever done. Cause A, I heard like we were going to go for these crazy boat rides and B, it's Mike Iaconelli, right? Is he going to start breakdancing on the front of the boat? You know, what's he going to do next? And that was the, that was the, the, the primed Mike Iaconelli (laughs) 10 years ago. Right. And so, you know, that was really intimidating for me to get on, on the boat with some of these people that had such big names and they were superstars in the fishing world. Um, but eventually it, it just got easier. And and I'll be honest with you, you know, doing I've never I never covered KVD in a in a bass master event because Wes or Kafka or someone had priority and seniority over me. Yeah. So they always got in his boat first. But I've done some private work for KVD and being around him, such a giant superstar in bass fishing. Um made me realize they all put their pants on the same way, you know, going and having some beers with KVD and eating dinner with him at night and hanging out in the hotel. It, it, it helped me a lot like feel more comfortable around
0: any of them to be honest with you. One of the coolest things for me to watch from the outside is, is you guys in your relationships because you really do become invested in it. You know, the person you shoot with that week, you know, It really like, and it's almost, I kind of equate it to like anybody that's run a marathon or competed and it's, you don't feel like you did it yourself. Like you feel like anybody else that was there that day for the rest of your life, there's a connection to them, but it almost feels like that with the camera guys at times.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, the relationship is really dynamic, especially, you know, if you're not a new cameraman and you're in a boat with someone that's comfortable with a camera. Right. So then it becomes this, you know, we always like fist bump before takeoff when we're when we're going out on, on, you know, when we're trickling out in the takeoff and you're announcing their names and and you say, you know, Lee, Lee Livesey and do what you do. And, and, and before he hits the throttle at the end of the idle zone we always fist bump and go, you know, I always hit them on the shoulder and go, come on, man, let's get this. You you know, this is your day. Let's win. And it starts the energy off in the right direction. And I think throughout the day, you know, some days go bad. A lot of days go bad where the angler, the fish left or, um, you know, his pattern isn't working all of a sudden. And then, Four hours into the morning, they start to lose their their mojo and I get quiet when when things suck. um, I get quiet because I don't know whether to to, you know, say something. I don't want to disturb their 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 mental train of thought or if I just need to let I just need to be quiet and let them think about and try to figure this out. And a lot of times we may not say a hundred words to each other all day long. And then there's other days where a guy rolls up to a spot, like Brandon Cobb one time on Lake Fork. He rolled up to a spot and moved and pushed the shad into this point. And first cast, he caught like an eight pounder, some crazy. And then all of a sudden it's like, dude, this is on like Donkey Kong and the energy's there. And so, you know, I'm listening to the, my director, Mike McKinnis, on headset. And I can feel their energy. I can hear Zona and Tommy Sanders and you, Ronnie Moore, in the background or Suit. And I hear these things going on, and it sort of you know leads into leads into um, prodding the angler so that we get more out of it than just casting a bait and and setting the hook on a on a big fish.
0: And I think that's one of the things you guys don't get credit for. I mean, you really like there's camera guys, but you guys are producers, basically, you know, Field producers. when you're out there, I mean, we hear all these great things. And I think live is showing a little more of it. Like in the past, you know, when it's just the edited show, you would just hear an angler go off on some rampage about something and you'd be like, wow, that was really good stuff. But there was somebody who led that angler down that trail. Um, I think we see a little bit more of it now, but, but that relationship, I mean, I, I'm sure that's probably one of the most important parts of the job. I truly believe – this is from the bottom of my heart, and I say this with all
1: all respect to everyone involved, that all the camera guys – that this—it's our responsibility because these these anglers only get so much camera time. I mean, you've got certain ones that are constantly doing well. There's, you know, they're in the top ten all the time, and they're going to get more coverage. But a lot of these guys don't get that many shots at it, and it's our responsibility to not only make them look good, but to capture one just one fleeing moment that they have. Yeah. You know like like um i'm trying to think of uh uh I- i'll think of someone in a second but you know it's it's our responsibility if they if they land a big fish or something special happens and it's only once if you miss it then in my opinion you failed you failed not only for yourself but you failed for bassmaster and you failed most importantly for that angler because that was so important to that person and I feel like that's the mentality and the mindset that I have every morning before I get into a boat.
0: I think that's, a, I think it's funny. I think that's like a team wide environment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, cause I, feel, when you're explaining that, I feel the exact same. Like, I, I, I feel like I say a lot of words that don't matter, but there's a few of them that really matter. And, and uh, you better get those ones right. And you know what I mean? Like, to me, it's, I, if I screw up something at that moment, I, like, I'm, I'm inconsolable. It, <laughs> it, 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 but I also think we're also, People that work, I mean, because you see how those little moments become things like, you know, with Takumi, like so many of those little moments have literally become taglines. You know, that that people that never saw that moment now know those sayings and things like that because it started at that moment.
1: Man, Lake Fork, this is what I was trying to remember. Lake Fork, Quentin. I was covering Quentin Capo. And Lee Livesey and I are really good friends. Off. Yeah off the water we're we've been we're just tight we just hit it off well and we're just buddies right and this was like the last day at Lake Fork Lee ended up having this world-class day he, he caught 42 plus pounds of fish in this unbelievable environment everything was going right and I was in Quentin Capo's boat and that was his first ten last ten. day right yeah. first final day and that that meant so much to me to be in the boat with him. And he caught like a five, he pulled up to the seawall and caught like a five pounder and a six pounder and had these moments. And that's the moment that I, that I was talking about earlier, where it's my responsibility. And while I would have loved to have been in Lee's boat to capture that day for him, I felt like, it was really important to, for Quentin, for me to be in his boat that day. And I'm really proud of how he, how he handled himself and, 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 and how his day went because he didn't have, he didn't have very many days like that.
0: Yeah, no, it, and it, you get it right. You know what I mean? Because, because it you look at some of those shots and those moments and, and how they, I mean, and I would imagine as a shooter, that's, to me, as an announcer, you know, if, if I could do the same job and have it recorded and do whatever, it wouldn't be near as much fun. It's the live element to it that I think you're walking on a tightrope. You're this close to screwing up constantly. And, and we all screw up and generally most people don't see it. But but it, I, I think that that's I kind of get off on that, you know, the live event, knowing that anything can go wrong.
1: I'm going to go off on a little tangent about you because I feel like you are, you are so good at what you do and hang on please, one second. Please okay? don't
0: do this. Please don't. Hold on. I'm not good no. with compliments.
1: Listen, please listen, don't. Dave, you're so good at what you do and you're not only on camera because the camera's rolling when you're on stage, but you have to know all these elements about all these anglers. You have to know what they did on the water that day. And you have to come up with these things to say um to entertain the crowd, to energize the angler. And not only are you being seen, but you're being heard because you're on a you're on a loudspeaker um you know to the crowd and on television. And I just think it's people like you and and the other guys like Overstreet and guys that have been around for a while that have these important Sago, all the camera guys, Wes Miller, everybody involved, it's such a professional atmosphere. That's what makes it so much fun for me because I know when I show up, it helps manifest my, my, my job and, and helps me become better at what I do because I know if I don't do this right, it's going to be outcasted because everyone else is doing such a good job and you're a huge part of that.
0: All right, enough of that. I'm not very good with things like that, but it it, it is a great team to be part of. I got to ask you the question that everyone's going to want to know: uh, How many crazy boat rides? I mean, oh my, and, and who and who is the craziest? Did you already mention him, Mike Iaconelli? Ike, yeah, I had a I had a pretty crazy
1: boat ride with him on, at Toledo Bend one time. <laughs> that was that was pretty, That was really my very first crazy boat ride. Was with with Ike, um, but I've had some recent ones. Uh, Lee Livesey, um, he went he went we went 110 miles um, from the takeoff at Sabine last year. And of course we went across Galveston Bay and it was rolling and he would, you know, he didn't let off, he doesn't let off the throttle. He's like, he reminds me of, he's the Dale Earnhardt of (laughs) Bassmaster, right? Bass fishing. He has a fast boat, his ballistic boat. I mean, it's one of the fastest boats on the water. And he knew, he knew where he was going. So he went way, it took us like two and a half hours to get there and he could only fish for like an hour and a half until we had to turn around and come back. Right. So we go way up in the woods along this ditch and there are these dead cows in the ditch. Okay. And so he goes up in there and he catches the fish that he, that he went to catch and he turns around he's like, man, we got an hour, we got an hour and a half to get back. We're 110 miles from home. We got to roll. So we're in this ditch that's about that deep. Right, he gets up on plane and and he is just hauling ass down this ditch. And we, he knew it was clear. A lot of people have questioned it and the 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 integrity of it because maybe there were some hazards in the water. The only hazards that were in that water were, were big alligators, and we saw them up on the on the levees as we were rolling through. And I happened to pull my camera out and I started filming this boat ride because I knew yeah. it was going to be intense, and it was. And I think we did. 80 miles an hour all the way back, and we barely made it back to to weigh-ins. And he didn't – I don't think he moved up in his spots, but it was one of those moments where he took a chance. He plays to win, and that's one of the things that I love about being in the boat with Lee is he always plays to win. He doesn't play to to move up. He plays to win. Yeah. and, And it was fun.
0: Yeah, I, and they, actually, he was on this podcast. You know, a week or two after that, and when he explained it, he, I remember him just saying like it felt good to be free, to fish free. And 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 I don't think we realize how much pressure. Sometimes even uh, as, on the broadcast we don't realize how much pressure those guys feel every day. Like it, it it's rare that's why they have so much fun at the classic. Cause it's literally, I'm just trying like, you're not protecting anything. You're not worried about slipping in the standings. You're just trying to win. So um, they, they all leave. have it too. They yeah. all have this.
1: They all, the, the, the guys that have been around for a long time or even new guys. There, there's different kinds of pressure, but they all feel major pressure for sure.
0: Yeah. What, what is the one characteristic you think like in your, years what what is there something that stands out like they're all like this or the best ones are like this
1: they're all really really good at what they do first of all even the guys that didn't make the cut coming into this year after 3 years they're all they all worked their butts off and faced you know tremendous challenges in their lives and made sacrifices to get to the elite level. And that's one of the things that I respect about all of them on the same playing field. And there are, uh, you know, uh, some of them that are just tuned in to something better than the other ones are. There's something about a few of them that just have this acute, you know, recognition of what's going on and they know how to make adjustments like Nick Saban knows how to make adjustments at halftime to come roll in tied. And, yeah
0: yeah yeah roll <laughs> tide yes that was for trip that
1: was for trip yeah. um and and so yeah there are there are lots of differences and there's but there are lots of similarities. They're
0: all good at, really, really good at what they do. The the one thing that stands out with me is how competitive they all are. Like it's ridiculous. Like it literally And I try to explain to people, but they still don't even know how immature these guys like they will literally argue like if at every fog delay. I mean, when you see a gathering of people, it is generally I mean, maybe they're comparing pictures of deer whose deer is bigger. Maybe it's whatever, but it's literally everything is a contest. Um, But I think that's it is true of all athletes. Like if you make it to the top level at anything, you have to be that person. Right. I mean, looking at, you know, uh,
1: that, what was that documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls? Oh, the last dance, Uh, the last dance, you know, they got footage of him throwing, throwing quarters up against the wall and and making, you know, thousand dollar bets, throwing quarters and stuff like that. And I think these guys are the same way. I mean, they're friends, you know, some of them better friends than others. Some of them don't really speak to each other that much, but they're even even the best of friends. I mean, I've seen I've seen Corey Johnson and Lee Livesey end up in the same pocket and and having jokingly in in positive light, you yeah. know, having having locker room words with each other, <laughs> yeah. just because it's like, dude, that's my spot, you know. And, and and knowing knowing that they share information with each other at times, uh, and still giving each other crap tells you what kind of relationship these guys have with each other.
0: And I don't think they get enough credit for what they do too. Like if you like, there's literally, a, and let me know if somebody can think of one, but there's no sport you can compare like where you are going to be on camera for that long. And you're going to be expected to talk. And you know what I mean? Like you, there's people who think it's outrageous that every once in a while they'll talk to somebody in a dugout, you know, in a baseball game, a, a coach that's coaching a game we talked to the guy while they're fishing, and they they have to deliver so much more than most athletes. Really, I, I think I think
1: um, they like to talk about fishing when they're fishing because you know you know on on how, how many interviews have you shot on the final day where when you go up to the boat before takeoff, it's still dark outside. They're still prepping their lures and rods and getting you know, rods out on the deck, what they're going to be using. And, and, and almost, almost all the time, one or more of them say, look, man, I'm just going to go fishing. And that's what they, that's the mentality they have going out to try to relieve that pressure. Right. And so when you get out on the water, if you're like, if as a camera guy, if I'm just another guy fishing with them, then it goes much better. They're more relaxed. The conversation is better. The programming is better because they're saying things in real life, and there's, they you know, they're just talking about like if you ask him what kind of line, what kind of line are you using, like yeah. why, why are you throwing that bait? And they explain it, then everybody wins because he feels like he's talking about fish, just fishing, and the 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 viewers get to learn something, and 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 there's no dead time on camera. It's, there's always something going on, so you know, uh, and some of the guys know what to say. And, and sometimes some of the other guys are quiet and they're a little bit more cerebral about what they're doing,
0: you know? What, what, what about when it goes bad? Like, I don't, you know, you always think of the good, but like, I have a little moment in my job when I announce the winner that the person who loses walks off and I have like a split second every time, you know, where we'll connect eyes as they leave and you know, you kind of give them the, But they, but it's over quick. It's over quick. Right, right. (laughs) I don't know how that's uncomfortable. That should could feel when you're in a boat. It's just you, that angler, and when it goes bad, I mean, that's got to be some of the most uncomfortable moments ever.
1: What? Here's what I do, and this I didn't do this the first time. It took me like five or six years to feel comfortable enough to do this, but I keep them going. Even if it's if there's one hour left in the day, I'm like, dude, I watched. You know, I watched Jason Christie catch 14 pounds in 30 minutes one time. You know, don't give up. Just keep going. You know, we talk about these things like you can tell. You know, their their hats starting to slouch. They walk back to their to their cockpit and get behind the wheel and start the boat up. And it's not the same energy as it was at the beginning of the day. But I think, what am I going to say? Like, dude, that sucks. Like your day's over. You're done. We might as well just go in. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> just that do what Wes work. Miller does. West Miller, every time I've ever shot with him. Now, this isn't in the tournament, but but if you're not catching them, all you hear from Wes is this. <sighs> <sighs> Doesn't, I doesn't can hear help. him
1: doing that too. Yeah. Oh, he's awesome. No, it's it. it's all about it's all about the energy that you know that we put out there that gives them energy um, to to continue going. Now at the end, you know there there's really awkward moments too. Like uh, I I covered Caleb Kufal at Gunnersville, unbelievable tournament. Hard, and and not to take the, anything away from Caleb, but he wasn't really. He's not really a big name in the bass fishing world, right? To the anglers, they know and him. And he's
0: not a personality that puts himself out there that much. Yeah, which, that's which what he'd say, right?
1: Better said correct. <laughs> and so he has this unbelievable, you know, uh, end-to-end yeah. uh, tournament and just crushes everyone, like shatters the, shatters the gap between first and second, all-time record or whatever it was, and – and we're rolling in, and he doesn't even know. Like, he has no idea how, how much he just crushed everyone. And um, I think it was you. I think you said – I think it was you in, 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 in one of the live uh, segments where you said, dude, he's, like, totally ruining this tournament. He's running away with this. He's ca- – like, no one can catch him now. And he had no clue. So, when we're rolling back into the weigh-ins on the final day – I don't want to tell him what he did because I don't, to, yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder. I don't want to steal his his light or his energy and what it's going to be like when he gets up on stage. So I'm sitting there thinking, this dude just won by 17 pounds or whatever it was, and I can't tell him this. And so that's like, it's like trying to keep a. It's like you're five years old and you're trying to keep a secret. You know what I
0: mean? Oh, I, I, that's the part, but it's, I think that's the most important secret. Like, and I, I think I worry that we're getting away from it. You know what I mean? Cause there's so much, like whether you say something or it's media, um, you know, not bass media, but outside, you know, fishing media, which we're thankful to have there, but or family or whatever, everybody's looking at bass track. And I'm telling you like the more we can protect that moment, because if if you ask me the the, the stuff that you see on stage is so magical. What builds to that is the hour before where that person thinks I haven't done enough. Like when Lee Livesey won on, uh, on check, I mean, mm-hmm. backstage you, you were, he thought he lost it. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. i I did not win the tournament. And as heartless as it was for me to stand there <laughs> as a friend and not like, just be like, well, whatever way it works out, it's a great finish, you know, but without that doubt, he, he, you don't see the jubilation, I don't think. Like, I think that doubt is what builds the excitement. It's off, it's way
1: more authentic when they yeah. don't know. And the tears, the tears. Actually, let me go back. I would, I covered Lee, uh, days three and four at Chick. Yeah. And Bash Track was so close when he came in, I didn't know who won either. No, I mean, really, he could have checked, but no one really knew. Yeah. So, the win was that much more authentic and I remember even after, you know, backstage after he won, it, it was still high energy. I mean, he he gave me the I remember you being there. I took a picture of you with with Lee and there was just so much energy around that and it was because it was so authentic. But when those guys cry on stage because like they just accomplished something that was a childhood dream to them, and they can't help it. And all these emotions that come out, you and I know, and, and a lot of people do, the reason why that is, is because all the failures yeah. finally, finally caught up to them in a win. And it was like all the sacrifices they made, all the, all the, you know, the, the, the worries of living in the back of their truck and not having enough gas money to get to the next tournament and trying to figure out how they're going to do all this stuff. All that comes out because, because it's so authentic and they work so hard. Bill Lowen winning at, at uh, pickwick yeah. was, was one of those times that was just so magical. 15 years of being a pro angler and getting really close. And it finally just exploding Pickwick was was unbelievable
0: yeah and it's every close call like because bill lowen's been so close so many times and and that same thing that we talked about like that people letting kind of their opinion like there's anglers that that's one of the things drives me crazy too with everybody that's like you've won you've won like i remember chris johnson telling me how crushing that was like when he came in at the final day um when Micah won, uh, you know, had the giant bag on the last day. And right. Chris said, I didn't think I won when I put my boat on the trailer. But by the time I got in lineup, I started to think, well, I must have because everybody's congratulating me. Everybody's so like they, all these people build you up. and then <sighs> so you're talking about a group of people who even somebody like Chris Johnson, who you can definitely not say, has had many struggles in this sport. But even he has had those close calls and it gets snatched away at the last minute. And all those people that were there telling you, you were one, when you kick stones off that stage, none of them are there. (laughs) None of them are none of them. And you're by yourself. Right. And I think, I think it's just a release. You see, like it's, it, it is, it is a really, and I think it's honestly gotten more cool over the last few years and, and not, that's not a slight on the guys before, but I just think it's natural. Like the, the, the firsts and the, you know, the first, whether it be somebody's first shot at a Sunday or somebody's first win somebody's it's just so many firsts. Yeah. Now that the
1: new guys are on the circuit, there's so many firsts it's it there. It, there's more, there's more to it. And now and those guys, the new guys don't take any of that for granted. I want to tell you a quick story about like, this year's classic at Hartwell, I've got a hundred dollar bill on Jason Christie. Okay, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this is a really it's a it's a, a, story. I hope I hope he doesn't. It won't bother him. It won't bother. Him. I'm going to tell it. I was in his
0: boat. You'll find out.
1: I was on on his boat the last day at the last classic we had at Hartwell when he had a six pound lead. I was covering him day three and day four. Okay, and. It it was it's probably it probably will forever be one of the hardest days I've ever had on the water. I've had Jason before. I like Jason. Um, you know we 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 have the boat to cameraman relationship because I've yeah. been on his boat and covered him several times. But that when he lost, all he had to do was catch like one more keeper. And he was going to win the Bassmaster Classic at Hartwell. Was that 2017 or 18? Something like that. 17, I think. Yeah. yeah. And and when he, law- when he came in with four fish, knowing he wasn't going to win the Classic and he had it in the palm of his hands. And that was the first year that they stuck the camera guys in the vehicle from the, drive the boat back. ramp to the auditorium. And that's a 45-minute drive. And so... I'm, I'm in the truck with Jason and I've got this camera in his face and I had to pull the camera and say, Jason, I'm really sorry. I have to do this. Okay. I really, really say He's like, no, no, whatever. You know, Jason, he's just leaned up against. He's yeah. so quiet and subdued and chill and, and, and he was, but that was one of the most awkward moments and, and rides I've ever had with an angler because, because of what was at stake and what had been lost, and who it was, where it was, and how it all went down, and so I've got my money on Jason Christie this year at Hartwell because I know there's going to be a lot more to that than just a regular bassmaster classic for him
0: yeah, I mean that's the reason he's back I mean honestly that, that, that event I mean that that's and and it's funny because me and him had a talk at the at the nashville or the Knoxville classic um and, uh, that, that was the year when, when everybody was leaving after the classic and, and he told me on the dock that morning. Um, and I remember the exact dock Cause when we were there this year, I pointed it out to him. I'm like, you know, the moment when I knew you'd be back here, eventually you were standing right there. And he told me this won't be my last classic. And th- there's no way somebody like him as competitive as him can lead that event for four out of the six days in two years. You know what I mean? And not win it. And, and, settled with that. So I, I don't think it's a bad bet, um, uh, at all, but, uh, I, I, I mean, Christie's, Christie's an awesome, incredible angler, but he'd be an uncomfortable person to be in that truck with for those in that, 45 at minutes. That time,
1: exactly. You know him well enough to know how uncomfortable, and he was, he didn't, you know, he, he took it like a man. He took it like Jason Christie would. Right. Yeah. But it was still awkward because you know how competitive he is and how badly that had, that had to feel for him. So anyway, I got my money on Jason Christie this year.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'd like him to win too. Cause my, one of my most embarrassing moments ever on stage where I felt like, Ooh, you just really screwed up was with Christie. And it was what, I don't know if it was that year. Was that the year where we had the stage in the round, but basically we just did it this past year again, but we, we had done it a few years. Drive around. Yeah. And it, so, When you're the MC, that's the worst stage design ever because you've got camera people everywhere for me and they're all week yelling at you like you're in my shot or whatever. So I had found that the one ramp that I can go to to get out of the shot because that's why I run around so much in the stage just to get out of the shot was the back ramp. So, Christy, Jordan Lee wins, you know, takes it. And and I go back um, on the back ramp and in my stupid diva, whatever crap I I don't know where I what happens when I go on stage but the bigger the moment the more wrestling it becomes but I'm back there and I'm down on my knees literally down on my knees leaning back going unbelievable I'm screaming this and while I'm down there I see this leg step over me and say I gotta get through here and it was Christy trying to get off the stage and I just was like I feel like I'm sorry I but I mean, Christy is a great person and he gets it. It was a very awkward moment. It was very, very, you, you I, think Jason Christie's intimidating. Wait till his crotch is right above your head and you're, <laughs> you're screaming. Unbelievable <laughs> for someone else. Exactly.
1: Then there's the opposite. Taku Ito at like St. Lawrence last year. I mean, what, what, what a what a day and what a moment that was for someone like Taku. And when he started crying, you knew even more so, maybe not more so, but I mean, you know, people like Takahiro Amori, Taku Ito, they give up their families and their lives oh. to move across the ocean, across the Pacific Ocean to come and chase a dream, a childhood dream. And for Taku to come in, and he didn't know that he won. I knew he won. I I, I texted Zona on our boat ride in uh, from Lake Ontario. I said, dude, I'm telling you, this guy's got a lot of – he's got a lot of weight. I think he's going about to win this tournament. I felt like he was going to, but no one really knew, including Taku. And he's so humble and so gentle and so, you know, cuddly that – that moment that moment was insane that was that was an incredible incredible win
0: yeah and when it was happening it felt incredible to me but I don't think I I don't think any of us there at the event could even fathom how special it was And like when I left there the amount of people that were reaching out to me and like he made an entire industry fall in love with him and 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 I use him as an example all the time because people are you know, everybody thinks "Oh, I got to be Gerald Swindle on the stage because he obviously does an incredible job. And <laughs> and not everybody is Gerald Swindle. And if you look at Takumi, I mean, he literally, the only reason, like he has every reason for it not to work for him. He is a language barrier and all sorts of reasons for it not to work. But the only reason it all works is because he's just honest. Like he literally, exactly li- like when he wins, he's like, I don't know if it's a North American thing or whatever, but all of a sudden you, people win and they have to act like cool, but he is really like, I can't believe I won. And that's people fall in love with that. Like, I mean, I, I think all of those things, but, but tell me about on the water um, on the water. And you've got Mike McKinnis in your ear, you're hearing everybody. And and there's little moments that come out like taco time, small Moat Disneyland and things like that. I don't think people realize how much is involved with that. You're not just holding a camera and that's just not coming out. Like where are you hearing things and what, what goes on in your day when you, when moments like that are being captured?
1: Yes, I got, I get goosebumps. Like I just got goosebumps all over my body, just, in, you know, anticipating this story. So it really started at, the, you know, they had to gas up, they ran the full length and they're at the mouth of Lake Ontario to go to the and there's a line at the at the gas pump, and there's only one pump, and there's one yeah. person running the pump, and there's ten boats, and Clark Winlet's in front of us, and Taku told me in so many words that he was scared to go out on the big lake. Yeah, he was more scared the year before, but he's still scared because he he I mean, you don't do that in Japan, you know no. they don't they, they don't do they bank fish most of, mostly there right or they're in small John boats. But again. So- He's willing to admit it. You don't think
0: there's dudes from Tennessee that are scared. There is. There's dudes from Ontario that get scared. The only
1: people that aren't scared out there are Chris and Corey.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think Chris gets scared sometimes. Corey's just nuts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we pull up to the – Clark Winlets in in front of us, and Taku says, uh, you know, what do you think, Clark? Uh, how, how are you going out? You know, he's, you can just tell he's nervous. Yeah. And Clark says, Yeah, well, he looked at his watch and he looked, you know, and he's like, You know, just be careful out there. You got about a couple of hours before it gets really rough, but it's going to be rough, Taku. So, you know, now Taku's biting his fingernails, you know, and he's chewing on his, chewing on the end of his fingers. So he gets out to the mouth after he fuels up and he takes a deep breath. He stops the boat and he takes a deep breath. <sighs> and he just guns it, and he goes for it, and we get out to his spot, his first spot, and he's like, he's confused, because it's showing his depth finder, his graph is showing 13 feet, and he's supposed to be at 22 feet of water, and then he drops, he's like, this is, this is, I don't know, I don't know, and he drops a drop shot down, he uses really tiny baits, right? Yeah. He drops it down, and and boom, he hooks up with a three and a half or four pounder. And he's like, Oh my God, there's (laughs) 505 pounders under his boat. And there were so many smallmouth suspended under his boat. It gave him a false bottom. And he thought he didn't know what was going on. And when he figured it out and he could see the drop and he could, he he knew where the, uh, the, uh, zebra mussels were and in the, in 45 minutes to an hour, that was the most incredible smallmouth bass fishing outside of you know when when BP won last year at Champlain. That was insane too, but Taku's forty-five minutes uh, or an hour of of catching five and six-pound smallmouth was unfreaking believable. And the way he did it with his finesse rigs, feeding the line, the, the, the eight pound test and six pound leaders and the tiny baits and the tiny hooks he was using. It was just, it was a, it was a show all in itself. And, and you could just tell, I think he was in 10th or eighth place. He was at the bottom of the top 10, but you could feel, you could feel like, Dude, this is a winning day. This is like special, and I didn't know he was going to win, but I just had it in my gut that th- this is this is going to come down to the wire.
0: Do, you know, one of the things you hear anglers say is like, when you win, it's you can't explain it. It's just meant to be. Like things can't happen. do anything wrong. Do you, I mean not just with this story, but with all your experience? You've been with plenty of people when they win and plenty of people when they don't. But do you? agree with that I do I mean even that day uh on Chickamauga
1: with Lee Livesey when when he pulled up to the first spot he was saving his big mat for later in the day when he knew the big ones would move in under the shade um so he fished this little island there was a small broken mat out there and he caught a four and a half pounder like his first cast and he said dude I knew when I found this spot that I was going to win this tournament And, or, you know, after, after the tournament, after he had won, he told me that he goes, I knew, I knew when I found that spot during practice that I had a chance to win this. And, and like when BP won, when Brandon Polnick won uh, Champlain, like he pulled up, he pulled up to this boulder field and he saw one on his, on his uh, graphics and pitched like he, the boat was still moving he had just come off pad and he pitched a bait back and caught like a four and a half or five pounder and then it was like for 30 minutes it was this insane was like catching giant piranhas and 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 he couldn't do anything wrong he could have thrown a bare hook down there he probably would have caught a five pounder and so yeah i think i think it goes and i remember telling you earlier or, or yesterday when we were talk chatting uh, I had a day with Ish Monroe on the upper Mississippi when he uh-huh. won the tournament and it was the same thing. He pulled up to this lily pad pond, and, you know, remember it was flooded and yeah. all the backwater was in the woods and these blackbirds, these red winged blackbirds were nested. There was a, a rook, like a rookery or a, a roosting area. And these baby, the wind was blowing really hard. And it was blowing these baby uh, blackbirds out of the nest and the bass were in there eating these, these, these baby birds, these big giant bass. So, and he probably caught like seven, I think I was with him for three days on that tournament, almost wire to wire. And he caught 70 or 80 or a hundred fish each day. And he ended up winning that tournament, but you could just tell that there's, they can't do anything wrong when they're, when they're going to win, they're going to win, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I I've seen it happen too many times. Like in it, it's times where everything on paper tells you they're not going to win. I mean, uh, Takumi a prime example. I mean, Corey Johnson's leading this tournament. You know, there's, there's every reason you should lose this tournament, but he didn't. I mean, and there was no way he was going to lose it. I mean, it's just, it it is, it's wild. One of the things that I find wild and I, I find humorous and fun too to follow is the dynamics with your camera crews, like the, all the different camera guys. (laughs) I mean, when, when your guy wins, people congratulate you. I mean, I do it generally when your guy wins, I'll congratulate you or whoever it is. Um, there's, you feel vested in it, right? I mean, you, you you get behind your guy.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And there's some, you know, there's some, uh, silent competition going on in the camera trailer too I mean it feels good when you come in and win you know you feel like you were a part of something really big and you were I mean you were a part of it not that you did anything that made this guy win but you were there and you shared that moment and every time you win if you're if you cover the winning angler like you're you're probably friends for life because you shared a moment that was so huge for them and you were the only person there that was actually aside from Lake Fork when you've got a you know a a, a weigh-in marshal um that's the only tournament that you're not you're the only person in the boat with that person and you share that with them and it's it's really special when Brandon Cobb caught that 11-1 at Lake Fork That was like, that was actually a pivotal point in my career within the Bassmaster uh, circuit because it's the largest bass ever caught live. And when he caught that, he kept saying, there's a five or six pounder. there. There's a five or six pounder. He kept pitching in there, kept pitching in there. It was muddy water and all he could see was the tail. When that fish came to the top, you know, you know, ten pounders or bigger—they just look different. They're just yeah. built different. They're a from di- the hook they s-
0: set of that fish. Like I was hooked like a- live when that hookup was on, and it was like I still remember the exact like the set, and then. <laughs>
1: The stutter step forward and yeah. the, the, the fishing line is like he set the hook in, a, in the dock arm or something and it turned into a guitar string. It was so tight. And the way that whole thing went down, I mean, Brandon Cobbs, I consider him a good friend now. And it's all because of that moment that... He had this huge moment. I, I was lucky enough to be there, and I happened to capture it for him. And it was my responsibility. And now, you know, we're friends for life. Like we always talk about that eleven pounder. Like before he goes out, if he happens to come by the boat that I'm in, I always say, "Don't go catching two now." You know, <laughs> it, it, it's inside joke between us now. And it's 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 great to be friends with these guys. And they're all they're all. M- they're all really good guys, and and I just love being around them all, all of them.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great, it, it's a great crew to be part of, you know, and, and that's what I found the hardest when I missed those few events this year. Like, that was, I mean, I was cool with taking the weekend off work. I'm like anybody, but I'm like, I can't, I'm not there. You know what I mean? It was just so weird to be covering, like, to be watching this all, and you're, it's, it gave me kind of an idea of like what it must feel like for players and stuff when they I mean, just you, just, you just don't you don't get access to all this stuff you used to used to see, you know, and it it's just a weird it's a weird place. But it's but I think that that camaraderie that goes amongst all of us like and I think it's it has to happen because we spend so much time on the road. It, that's that's what it what the magic is for me anyways in the job
1: when someone's missing it's noticeable and like when you weren't there it was on the other side of it it was noticeable for us because your voice your presence wasn't there and it was felt so like you say man there's there's so many important people in the in the whole entire crew from production to you know, the, the studio, the people behind the scenes, the audio, people building the segments and clips, you know, behind the scenes and the storylines and all those things. Um, it's so important. And when someone's missing, y- you can tell because everyone, it's like one big traveling carnival family.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. And it's bizarre at times. I have to ask you one question. We're going way long here. I'm sorry. Okay. but. Because people are going to yell at me if I don't. Know. It's just, I mean, you must have been hooked or hit, or I mean, oh. all these years. I mean, how how many hookings and hittings have you had?
1: I'll give you, I'll give you one uh, story that stands out the most. And I was at, uh, I was covering Bobby Lane at Ross Barnett the best. years ago, the dude. Best. And, and you know, and he swings a stick like Babe Ruth, like you know, his rods are heavy. They're big. He's a power fisherman. And so he's punching those mats at Ross Barnett, you know, which are like three feet thick. And he's throwing a one and a half ounce jig, punching these mats. And he's in, he had like a hundred yard stretch where he found some, some good fish. Right. And, uh, he feels one and he sets the hook and, You know, he's having to pull these fish through this thick mat. So he's setting it like he's swinging for the fence every single time. He's sort of uh, geared to my right and I'm kind of to his left. He's in the front. I'm in the back. I'm on the back left corner. He's on the front front corner of his boat. He sets the hook and this freaking jig, it just snags for a second. And it comes flying out of there and it hits me right here in my chest. It goes through my hoodie it goes through my t-shirt and into my chest like a 22 bullet i could hear it coming it was it whistled like a bullet i could hear it coming thank goodness it didn't hit me in the face or the eye or the teeth or something like that but i pulled my shirt up and there was a hole there was a hole i, I, I actually hit the ground bobby dropped his rod and he comes back and goes dude are you okay and i said yeah i think i'm fine and i looked down i saw blood and i pulled my hoodie and t-shirt up And there was a hole in my chest. It looked like I'd been shot with a rifle. And so that was one of those moments where, you know, it dawned on me, like Wes Miller taught me how to put my eyepiece, like to use my left eye to shoot with out of my camera. So I've got this bar, this lens bar that comes across, it covers my face. And I do that now because of that. Is that
0: really a conversation?
1: It's really a conversation
0: camera guys have, okay, what is
1: your shit? That is ridiculous. It, when they're, when they're pitching, when they're, when they're punching mats, it's always a concern because they're swinging hard because they got to set the hook and then they got to get the fish through this mess. And it's always, it's, I've, I can't tell you how many
0: times I've heard jigs come flying by. And, and you can't almost compare it to a recreational angler doing it because people, th- they think, oh yeah, no, I've been hit by things and I've had the, but here's the difference. These dudes are pros and and, you know, I don't care how confident you are there. There's a little bit of a stutter set or whatever that an amateurized But when Bobby Lane thinks he is a hit, he doesn't a 70 percent it. He 100 percent and all of them do. And it, I'm surprised you guys don't get more injuries. I'm, I'm glad we don't,
1: but you know, it wasn't the last time it wasn't the first time. And it w- it certainly won't be the last time something like that happens. I just know I got to protect my face cause everything else can take a hit. I hope, but my <laughs> face, I don't want, I don't want to lose an eye. I mean, there was a guy, I think it was with MLF last year that lost an eye. Come one on. Of the camera, oh yeah. One of the camera guys there got hit uh, in the eye and I'm pretty sure he lost his eye. So yeah, it's, oh. it's a. Uh, there's days we don't get paid enough for what we do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. But, but I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, um, there's a lot of days where you could think about it like that, but I mean, I don't want to do any other job. I mean, this is Never. all of, like, people are like, how did you end up doing this? I just didn't want to do real work. Like I was, exactly. and it's, it is the greatest traveling road show to be on and uh dude you're a great guest you need to come back here more often well thank
1: you for having me i i love talking to you i love our conversations on the dock in the morning before takeoff especially in the fog delays um and i always enjoy uh talking to you dave you're a you're a uh your hot your energy is uplifting and and i appreciate you man
0: Stop with the compliments or you never, <laughs> I never want to on here. It's so it's so weird. I mean, I can yell and scream in front of however many thousands of people, but if you say one nice word about me, I'm I don't know. I, I, I've got issues with it, but I thank you for the kind words and I thank you for the stories. And uh, you're coming back, dude, we're going to, we're going to have a feature. We're, we're, we're going to have a feature because um, you're good on camera. Uh, you're much better on camera than I would be. If you asked me to shoot. <laughs> It must be all those years behind the camera. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you soon. And thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. How fun was that? I mean, I really enjoyed that chat with Jake and I hope you guys did too. And while I'm at it, kudos to Jake and all of the camera folks that work at Bass. Um, It's one group who just doesn't get enough love. Um, And I honestly mean this, man, without them, they're everything. With, without them getting the images to all of us zona's got nothing to talk about tommy's got nothing to talk about davy is he like remember when i said earlier you start naming names you got to continue on with ronnie and such and the whole gang um we got nothing to talk about if they don't get us the images and what they go through in a day um cannot be overshadowed and i mean they just don't get enough credit for it so next time you're at a Bassmaster event you see one of those camera folks they usually have a camera on one side bag on the other they're lugging off the boat the tournament's done so they can go and shoot the way in i mean what they do and and what they deliver week after week is awesome so if you're at a Bassmaster master event and you see a camera folks make sure you go up to them and say thanks for for making bass what it is And thank you for making this show what it is. And one thing that I think you have learned already, folks, is you never know who's going to be on this show. We have different guests week after week, and some of them you've met before, some of them you've never seen before. But that's kind of the hope with this, is uh, just to get behind the scenes and inside the minds and mouths. No, inside the mouth sounds wrong, but inside the minds of the amazing folks that are obsessed with this sport of fishing and uh and i thank you guys for being obsessed enough to tune in week after week to listen to some talking heads but let me know down below who you'd like to see on the show in the future and hey while we're at it let me know how much snow you got at your house i want a weather report roll call in the comments i need to know how much snow you got or didn't get what 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 this past week has been like and who you want to see in the show and that's it that's all we've gone along this week but i hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week Enjoy being Thanks for watching. Please like, comment and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmaster told you to, you hear?